Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Thanks, Aaron. Um, Aaron mentioned that next Sunday we're going to do a panel up here. And uh, if you have questions uh, or thoughts that you'd like to share, that you'd like to be a part of next Sunday, then um, in the next two days, if you could get those in today or tomorrow, by Tuesday at the latest, um, and by the time I'm done, you might have some questions, uh, feel free to send those to the church office. Um, You can find the email address on the website, and uh, we'd love to participate with you through our discussion next Sunday morning. So good morning, my name is Mark DeLeo. My family has been attending Lambrick Park Church for a few years now. So some of you might recognize me from my explosive performance in the 2020 Lambrick Christmas Play casting call. Huh? Anyone? Kaboom! Yes? Good, good. Some of you know it. It does have 430 views, you know. As Aaron mentioned, our topic this morning is self-control, the final but not forgotten fruit of the Spirit. Are there any artists here this morning? Yeah, good, good. They say, they say that artists exhibit an amazing amount of self-control. Yeah, apparently it's because they always know where to draw the line. Okay, so you can tell by my jokes, I'm a dad, right? Um, My wife, Tara, and I have four kids, and suddenly you're like, four kids? Why does he get to preach on (laughs) self-control? I'll tell you why. It's the shirt. Isn't this the most fruitable shirt you've ever seen? I felt like I was putting on the fruits of the Spirit as I was getting dressed this morning. Like, I'm sure the Apostle Paul would dig it. In fact, my wife came into the kitchen this morning, and she said, Wow, you look really fruity. And, and then my oldest daughter came into the kitchen and she said, Dad, did, were you not able to find your apron this morning? I don't know what to do with that. But anyways, I'm preaching on self-control. Here we go. I want to start this morning by giving you my main point. You can say No. I put it in big letters so you'd remember it. That's my main point. We're going to start here. We're going to end here. So at the end of June, we've been going through this Fruitable series, and my friend John Barry was up here. He was speaking about goodness. And he mentioned this TV personality, Mr. Rogers. Many of you know him. Well, this morning, I'd like to quote a song that he wrote in 1968 called, What Do You Do With the Mad That You Feel? And just to be clear, um, Mr. Rogers wrote the song, not John Barry. He's much too young. Um, So here we go. What do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad you could bite? When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong. 
and to be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish. I can stop, stop, stop anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this, to know that the feeling is really mine, know that there's something deep inside, like the Holy Spirit perhaps, that helps us become what we can. For a girl can, someday, can be someday a woman and a boy can be someday a man. I feel like I could stop right there. But I'm not going to because I really like talking. <laughs> this song is about anger, about being mad, but on a deeper level it's about self-control. About saying no to things that tempt us. About saying no to some of our desires. Now, if you've been formed by our culture, you just gasped at what I said, and you're thinking, did he really just say that we need to say no to some of our desires? I did. <laughs> and I recognize that's a blasphemous thing to say in our culture, because in our celebration of individualism, the secular creed of our time has become you're free to do whatever you want to. The idea of saying no to our desires is now frowned upon. In fact, it's really important to not deny yourself because then you aren't being true to yourself. You're not being authentic. Freedom is pursuing your desires whatever they might happen to be. It's 100% self-oriented. You want to buy another pair of shoes that you really don't need? Go ahead. You want to stream a show with questionable content? It's all yours. Maybe some small part of you is feeling a need for restraint in relation to eating or gossip or alcohol or binge watching or bitterness. Nah, you're free. Go nuts. Don't deprive yourself. Follow your urges. Don't say no. Indulge. Does any of this sound familiar? It's really quiet. I'm just hearing crickets. So to speak of self-control in our context is actually quite countercultural. Sure, there are courses offered on self-control, but they're aimed at kids, mostly boys with ADHD, whose parents wished they watched more Mr. Rogers, that's the target audience. The underlying message is that self-control isn't for adults. Not surprisingly, the Bible shows us a very different perspective on this. Instead of being free to do what we want, the Bible says we're free to say no. Pause. We've been going through Galatians 5, so let me read from verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul says we're to say no to the desires of the flesh, 
so that we can serve others in love. And then he warns that if we say yes to the desires of the flesh, we will be destroyed by each other, which I don't know if you realize this, but destroying each other is really bad for relationships. It kind of misses the whole love your neighbor as yourself thing. So how do we say no? Galatians 5.16, continuing in the passage, Paul lays it out for us. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Right from the start of this Fruitable series, Aaron mentioned this conflict that we're in. A fight between the desires of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. He talked about it as a tug of war, remember? If you were here that first Sunday. But it's actually more complicated than that. Yes, we do wrestle between what we want and what God wants. But in Ephesians 6, Paul reveals that our fight is actually against spiritual forces of evil. Forces that are seeking to corrupt our desires and tempt us to selfish gratification so that we live only for ourselves. And guess what happens when we live only for ourselves? We shipwreck our relationships and we end up alone, just like this guy. I think he looks sad, don't you? In a kind of Tony Stark way? The devil wants us to be alone because it's the opposite of what God wants for us. Remember the Garden of Eden? God creates everything and it's all wonderful, except for one thing. It is not good for man to be alone, God says. It's our most vulnerable state and it's right where the devil wants to pin us. So the devil corrupts our desires with clever lies. He tempts us with things we think we want, things we think will lead to our happiness, things that maybe we aren't trusting God for. And we pursue these things, and as we do that, we give in to the desires of the flesh, which are obvious, says Paul. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And the like. Now, doesn't that intrigue you? As if that list isn't like, uh, that kind of describes our culture and a lot of me. And then Paul adds this, and the like. And I was thinking, if Paul was writing Lambrick Park Church today, how would he describe that and the like? What are the other acts of the flesh he would tell us to stop pursuing? Binge watching? Busyness? Wanting everything your way? Worshipping comfort? And then he's got this summary that digs deep. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The world around us is encouraging us to pursue the desires of the flesh and it's normalizing the selfish way of living. 
As Christians, we must not follow the world and how it lives. But this does not mean that people are our enemies. Our fight is not against people. Jesus has called us to serve and love others, our neighbors, the culture. We're the only organization that exists for the sake of those outside. They're not our enemies. Our fight is against the devil and his lies. Because when we follow the desires of the flesh, we're no longer free to serve others in love. I'd like us to look at these themes in Genesis chapter 4. The the story of Cain and Abel. I think some of this comes out and is really clear. I also want you to notice, this is is pretty serious. You're all just like, where's he going with this? But but. Isn't this good? Like, wow, look at that. I mean, that is like, I didn't even know I was doing this when I got the shirt, but I was like this, okay. This is the work of the Spirit, right? Clearly. (laughs) So Genesis chapter four. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, and Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of his firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So, you can probably tell what's going on from my emphasis there. But two brothers have each brought an offering to God, and the context implies that Cain was pretty half-hearted with his offering. He wasn't really interested in giving his best to God. And so God's displeased, and this response makes Cain angry. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So Cain is responsible to subdue the desires of his flesh. And do you see how it's described here as a wild animal? It's ready to pounce on him. Cain needs to master it. He needs to say no, does he? Well, if you know this story, one day Cain suggested to his brother, hey, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain is mastered by the desires of his flesh. He uses his freedom to do whatever he wants. Remember the things that Paul warned us about in Galatians? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, dissension, envy, and the like? This is what Cain is giving into. In some ways, these are some of the things that the church has given into through this whole COVID thing. All the dissensions and the strife that are in the church now. It's like, we've got to do better. We've got to figure this stuff out. So the story continues. Later, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> 
Can you hear his sullenness, his bitterness? I mean, part of that's mine in there, but too. But can you imagine talking to God in that way? Cain is so consumed by his own selfish freedom that he's abdicated caring for anyone. Am I my brother's keeper, he asks? Yes, that's exactly what you are. Don't you see it? God wants us to say no to the desires of our flesh so that we can live out God's love for others, keeping not just our brothers, but our neighbors and even our enemies. Yet Cain has no sense of any of this. So in verses 10 to 14, we see that God banishes Cain, who continues to feel sorry for himself. My punishment is more than I can bear, he says. Cain's story demonstrates that when we live by the flesh, when we live thinking we're free to do whatever we want to do, when we don't say no to our disordered desires, we move from connection and community to loneliness and isolation. Cain moves away from his parents, his God, and his dead brother. He's banished. His relationships are shipwrecked. They're broken. This is always the direction that we move when we fail to master the desires of the flesh, when sin crouches at the door and we give in to it. I was giving a seminar at summer camp years ago for guys in high school, and one of the guys there shared that he would sometimes come home from school, watch pornography, and masturbate. But when he went out later to be with his friends, he found he couldn't look people in the eye. He felt alone, isolated. This is what I'm talking about. The desires of our flesh move us from connection and community to isolation and loneliness, not just through murder, like Cain, or other big sins, but through seemingly little things as well. Things we like to pretend don't matter in our culture of instant gratification and do what you want. In Galatians 6, the following chapter to the fruit on the spirit, Paul explains that there are always consequences when we don't say no. We reap what we sow, he says. If you sow to please your flesh, you will reap destruction primarily through your relationships with God and others. Alarmingly, our culture tries to even play this as a good thing. The more alone you are, the more you become the master of your universe. You get to make all of the decisions. Create your own rules. When you're alone, you are free. Dependence on others will only drag you down, and others depending on you will stifle your personhood. So be alone. Be coolly alone. James Bond's a poster boy for this freedom, isn't he? Do you see Satan's lies here? Do you see how actively he is working at to destroy our relationships? And yet many Christians buy into this false version of freedom. Most church scandals are related to a lack of self-control in regard to sex or money or power or greed, people who are using their freedom to do whatever they want. I think one of the things that these scandals makes really clear is that they show, they reveal how the self-control of one person matters to the good of the whole. Hey, don't you feel that? What you do 
And how you live as an individual impacts your family, your friends, and all of your relationships. It impacts the very fabric of society right down to our healthcare. Lauren gave a talk on peace uh, over the last couple months, and in that he discussed how anxiety and worry is detrimental to our bodies. The same is true for loneliness. Research shows that loneliness is associated with an increased risk of heart disease, dementia, depression, anxiety, sleep disturbances, and even premature death. Our very flesh knows that we are not meant to be alone, but that's where the desires of our flesh take us. This is why self-control is a gift from God. For the individual, for the sake of the community and the world. God gives us freely, through his spirit, self-control so that we can master our momentary inclinations, incl- inclinations and fickle desires to deliver us into more meaningful, more substantial relationships and community. Do you see how this works? Self-control allows us to say no to our fleshly desires so that we can say yes to serving one another in love. That's what Paul is on about in Galatians 5. Self-control enables us to love like Jesus. This leads to the right relatedness of shalom that Lauren also discussed in his talk. It leads us to relational human flourishing, the kingdom of God. If we want good relationships with God and others, we need self-control and we need the spirit to give it to us freely. We need to be in a place where we're asking for it all the time in this culture. In Carly's talk, she said, don't give up what you want most for what you want now. And John Mark Comer, in his book, Live No Lies, and I can't recommend this book enough. Unless you hate my talk today, then don't read it. But if there's anything that's hitting home about with what I'm saying, grab this and read it. It's incredible. He discusses a similar idea. He says, our deepest desires are not always our strongest desires. Do you want to just put the... Yeah, good. Let me read this. Our deepest desires, usually to become people of goodness and love, are often sabotaged by the stronger surface-level desires of our flesh. This is exacerbated by a culture where the widespread wisdom of the day is to follow your desires, not crucify them. But in reality, be true to yourself is some of the worst advice anybody could ever give you. God doesn't offer us self-control as a form of restraint to keep us from things that we want. Self-control is not about depriving ourselves, but striving after a better desire. Self-control is God's gift to help us toward our deepest desires regarding who we truly want to be in our relationships. Some examples. My deepest desire is to have a healthy body. But my strongest desires, surface level, fleshly desires, are to eat too much, drink too much, and watch too much TV. 
My deepest desire is to be present to the people I'm with. But my strongest desire is to find out why my phone just binged. Yeah? Oh, good. You can relate. Good. Not totally missing the mark here. My deepest desire is to keep the Sabbath. But my strongest desire is to get some work done around the house. My deepest desire is for contentment and financial health. But my strongest desire is to buy something shiny and new that will make me feel better for another day. I'll take the quiet as a a good sign too. Maybe that means something good's happening there too. (laughs) My deepest desire is to have really great friendships, but my strongest desire is to make relationships all about meeting my needs. My deepest desire is to be at peace, but my strongest desire is for revenge. Has anybody ever seen a movie about revenge? (laughs) I was thinking this the other day. It's like revenge is the classic plot line to excuse any type of violence that the good guys perpetuate. It's like, oh, how messed up is that? I I still like the movies sometimes, most of the time, but it, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to myself this morning too, okay? Just so we're clear on that. Um, My deepest desire is to love others, but my strongest desire is to judge them. Guilty. My deepest desire is to be in a stable, is to be in stable loving relationships. Sorry, my deepest desire is to be in stable loving relationships, but my strongest desire is to make a biting comment to someone close to me in the midst of my annoyance. Self-control is really helpful there. I'm praying for that one. And after that, my deepest desire is for reconciliation, to fix the relationship. But my strongest desire is to run away from the conflict, to ignore it, to seek comfort and avoid difficult conversations, to justify my actions instead of apologizing, to hold on to my bitterness and blame. Just a couple more. My deepest desire is to be known and loved by my family and friends, including my insecurities, my weaknesses, my temptations, my failings, my pain. But my strongest desire is to put up walls to protect myself, fearing that people will reject me if they see me for who I really am, if they know me. It's safer just to pretend that everything's okay. My deepest desire is to love Jesus and my neighbors. But my strongest desire is to be comfortable. None of us are feeling comfortable right now. I get that. God wants to help us towards our deepest desires because he knows that the good life is what happens after we curb our surface level desires of the flesh. After we say no. Do you feel the weight of this? I, I mean, it's easier to not resist the pull of the world. It's easier to go that, re, to go that direction, but it's, it's not actually pulling us anywhere we want to go. If you're a person with deep desires like me, it's not leading that way. So, how do we wrap up? We, we can't choose to bear fruit. I'm not saying to any of you to work harder at this. We can't. None of us by pushing will grow fruit or cause it to ripen. We can't. We can't. It's, the growth of fruit, is, it's, it's a byproduct, right? It, it comes from 
remaining in Jesus and walking with the Spirit. Now, I, I don't think it's about effort, but I do think it requires us to be intentional. It involves aligning the way that we live with Scripture and ensuring that our deepest desires are actually aligned with the kingdom of God. That we've spent enough time thinking about what it is that we deeply, deeply, deeply want, that we've actually pushed past those surface-level desires to, to kind of get our hearts and souls sorted out. If the Spirit is informing us, the world is. So we need to spend some time thinking through all of this and praying through all of this and seeking the Spirit in all of this. So here are some, I think, really practical practices on how to do that. And, and some of these are reflective of the application from previous fruitable sermons. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot here that's new, but um, I think they're really important practices for us. So the first one, if we want to align our deepest desires with Scripture, we need to know Scripture. So read it. Study it. Memorize it. Let it be a light for your feet and a lamp for your path. Read through the whole Bible cover to cover, and when you finish, start again. We have to know Scripture. We also need to turn off the constant inputs in our lives. The podcast, the music, the Netflix, whatever's coming in, we need to intentionally seek out quiet and solitude with Jesus and turn our attention to him and listen. Carly really stressed the importance of this in her talk. John Mark Comer uses this word curate, and I really like that, you know, this, this idea of this museum director trying to figure out what's there. And he says, we need to reflect on how you're, we're curating our thought lives. Isn't that beautiful? What are we putting where in our thought lives? What are we reading? What are we watching? What are we listening to? What are we entertained by? What advertising emails are we subscribed to? How is Instagram impacting us? And don't just reflect on what you're taking in, but how much. Because it's often these inputs that are often shaping our strongest desires and causing us not to go a little bit deeper to those deeper desires. Another one, obvious, this is obvious, pray about your desires. We, we have lots of desires every day, and I'm not saying that all of them are of the flesh, not at all. Not all of our desires harm relationships, but we need the Spirit's leading to know which is which and which desires we need to say no to. So surrender your desires to God. I, I think it's helpful for me, at least, to think of Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think you need to pray that God does not give you your strongest desires, but only your deepest God-formed desires. And after all of that prayer and reflection and contemplation and Bible reading, we need to live in step with the Spirit, saying no to our flesh and pursuing our deepest God-formed desires. Self-control is central in this. To listen instead of talking, to serve others instead of yourself, to forgive instead of begrudging, to reconcile instead of separating, to learn to enjoy date nights again, to speak lovingly to our children, 
to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm convinced that the devil is doing all that he can to persuade us that the anger we feel is righteous and we should feed it. That sex is our right and we should use our bodies for whatever pleasure we desire. That we can purchase whatever pleases our eyes, etc. We're constantly tempted to fill up our schedules, keep ourselves busy, pursue wealth instead of relationships, and spend too much time looking at screens. These are the desires of the flesh, and they'll always lead us to loneliness and isolation, even slavery and addiction. The world around us normalizes this. But Paul says we can be free to serve each other in love as apprentices to Jesus, to get into each other's business, that's what Lewis encouraged us to do in his talk, and to be our brother's keeper. We were created for healthy relationships. Our DNA is wired for meaningful connection. We can't live contrary to this design and live life abundantly. I'll, uh, I'll ask the music team to come up as I just make my closing comments. Let's decide. This is, it's kind of a challenge. I'll come back up for the benediction. Um, but let's decide to live in a way that's different from our culture and fight the desires of our flesh. I think as we do this, that's where we see the fruits of the Spirit will grow and ripen in our midst. And we'll see this because it's going to change the way that we relate to each other. It's going to push us towards our deepest desires. I'm convinced through the scripture, that self-control is for adults. With the Spirit's help, you can say no. Amen.